I want to just reflect a second on that song that was just sang to us, or maybe you joined in. Uh, it's so completely opposite of what the world says. You read the, the books that the world's writing, it's you can do it. You can pull yourself through it. You can pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. And the focus of this song is exactly the opposite. God won't fail you. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. Put your hope and trust continually in Him. That's the difference maker in life. No matter it's your marriage, your parenting, your career, your finances, your relationships, no matter what it is, put your hope in Jesus. He is the only hero in every single one of our stories. And the sooner that we embrace that, the sooner we'll understand what life is all about. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. This letter of freedom. This has been called the Emancipation Proclamation of the Scriptures. It sets the prisoner and the slave free. Paul talks in this letter about freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom from hell itself. Not because we are good people, but because Jesus lived a life that we could never live. And he died a substitutionary death that we could have never offered. And as we transfer our trust from our own efforts and our own goodness and our own sense of righteousness and hope in an alien righteousness that is not from us but comes from God and is through Jesus Christ, then we are right with God. We are adopted. We are beloved. We are favored. And we are free from the penalty of sin. We are free from the condemnation of sin. We are free from self-condemnation as well as God's condemnation. We are free from shame. We are free from guilt. We're free from having to perform, to maintain or merit or earn the smile and delight and favor and blessing of God. It is all given to us in Christ. And not only are we free from all that, but as Paul gets to in Galatians 5, 13 through the end of the letter, we are freed progressively from the power of sin in our lives by the surprising power of grace. That's the theme of our study of this letter, the surprising power of grace. And the theme this morning, continuing from last week, is the power of practice. January 1980, I was freed from the penalty of sin forever. And I began to be progressively freed from the power of sin in my life. And almost overnight, my life practices changed. 
The first thing that changed was my practice of the English language, especially on the basketball court. I noticed I wasn't saying the things I used to say. No one told me to stop. It just stopped. My life practices changed with respect to the Bible. I'd never owned one for 20 years. I'd never opened one for 20 years. I didn't even know what was in the Bible for 20 years. And when I was converted, almost overnight, I couldn't put this down. No one told me to. I was changed by the surprising power of grace. And I couldn't put it down. I didn't want to put it down. My life practice with respect to friends changed. I didn't know any Christians for 20 years. I didn't want to be around Christians for 20 years. And suddenly, almost overnight, all I longed for was Christian fellowship. My life practice changed with respect to going to church. I rarely went to church. And when I did, I didn't get anything out of it. But almost overnight, I couldn't spend enough time in the church or in Christian groups learning about what it meant to walk with Jesus Christ by faith. I never sang in church, and almost overnight, I began singing hymns and praises and spiritual songs. The surprising power of grace changes lives. Now, there's one area of my life that didn't change, and that was that I continued to not practice generosity toward the body of Christ. But it wasn't because I was opposed. I didn't know any better. I was a new Christian. I didn't know what God's Word said about His promise to provide I didn't know God's Word said that I was to trust God to provide for my own needs. I didn't know that God's Word said that I was to bring a tenth of all that He gives me to the body of Christ. I didn't know. I needed someone to teach me and instruct me and train me. Well, you need to realize the same thing that was true of me is true of the letter to the Galatians. These are brand new baby Christians. They're new converts. They've only been Christians for a short time. They were in cities through southern, what is now southern Turkey. And on Paul's first missionary journey, a whole bunch of them came to Christ and they formed a church. Paul planted a church with these new converts. And apparently... They didn't understand or even know or even have exposure to the Old Testament Scriptures. Of course, that's all there was then until Paul started writing the letters. They didn't understand about generosity either. So the theme this morning as as Paul continues to write this letter is the practice 
of generosity. The Galatians didn't know any better. I didn't know any better. And maybe some of us here don't know any better. So Paul takes the time. A, because he wants the church to be able to engage its full ministries. But B, because he cares about the condition of our hearts. And where Jesus, Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. Follow along as I read Galatians 6, verses 6 through 10. This is God's Word. Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. May God bless the teaching and hearing of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word. This is God's Word. He gave it to us because He loves us. He wants our lives to change. He wants our life practices to change. And by the power of Christ, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the gospel, He will change our life practices. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would move in power among us. Make this word come alive in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So the context is so clear. It's set up in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. It couldn't get more obvious. Okay, the one who is taught the Word, that's you all. And then the one who teaches, that's the ministry of the local church. And Paul is saying to these new Christians who are formed into a congregation, make sure that as you are taught the Word in your church, you share all good things, talking about material things, particularly offerings and tithes, make sure you share them with the one who teaches, i.e. the church. Now, it's just not important that we follow through on actions, that we establish practices, but the attitudes behind our practices are critical to what it means to have gospel generosity. Last week, we looked at three attitudes of the heart that God wants to form in us related to practicing generosity. We talked about practicing loving generosity, and we looked at some passages that, that correlate the amount of love we show toward Jesus with the amount of forgiveness that we experience in Jesus. And the amount of forgiveness that we experience in Jesus is directly proportional to the amount of sin that we perceive in our hearts that we bring to Jesus to be forgiven. And the whole idea last week was the one who is forgiven little loves little. 
practices little generosity. But the one who is forgiven much loves much. And we see all through the New Testament and the Gospels that those who saw their sin and experienced great forgiveness didn't have to be told to practice generosity, but they were filled with it. And then we talked about practicing obedient generosity. And, and that has to do with there are some, some real, clear ways and methodologies Scripture lays out for us to practice generosity. For example, God all through His Word talks about bringing the tenth. People just call that tithes like it could be, you know, I make $300,000 and I feel like tithing $2. No, that's not tithe. Tithe means tenth. And God calls for a tenth of what He gives to us to be brought back to His body. So we're to practice obedient generosity. Then in this passage, it is so very clear we're to practice local generosity. In other words, the tenth isn't ours to do with according to our preferences. The tenth goes to the place where we are taught the Word. Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things tithes and offerings with those who teach with the local church. So then we pick up from there and we have three more principles. So principle number four, practice reverent generosity. Paul says some, some pretty challenging things in this text. Look at verse seven. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. So again, verse 6 is talking about generosity towards your local congregation. And Paul is saying, do not be deceived with respect to the principle of sowing and reaping. Now, the way that Paul words it in the letter itself says, stop being deceived. In other words, Paul is asserting that the Galatians, in fact, already are deceived because they're not sharing all good things with the one who teaches them. Now, there could be a number of reasons for that. The, the most obvious reason could be that as they've been listening to Paul teach about the gospel of grace and the beauty of the freedom from condemnation, about freedom from, from performance to merit, maintain, and earn God's smile, there could be some among the Galatians that are saying, well, if grace is true, then it doesn't matter how I live. That's called cheap grace. And Paul writes, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. Now, he is not saying God's going to get you unless you practice generosity. And he's not saying that if you practice generosity, God is going to love you more. No, he's simply saying God has written into his universe certain unchangeable principles that will, in fact, hold true. And it has nothing to do with your performance. 
It has nothing to do with you earning points with God. It has everything to do with the kind of universe God has set up in the spiritual realm. For instance, take the physical realm. I just decided that I'm going to turn my nose up at the law of gravity. By the way, that's what, do, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. That's what that word mocked means. It means to turn your nose up at it. So I've just decided I'm not going to believe in the law of gravity anymore. I'm not even going to live as if it's real. So I'm going to go up six stories. I'm going to open a window, and I'm going to jump out. Well, guess what? God is not mocked. You are going to reap what you sow. Bob Flayhart, you jumped out of a six-story window. It doesn't matter if you believe in it or not. It's going to take you down. That's what Paul's saying. There is a principle in the universe of sowing and reaping. And Paul is saying, and look what he says in verse 8, the one who sows to his flesh will reap from flesh corruption. Now, it's not talking generally about sowing and reaping, although it is true, right? If you, if you sow immorality, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow... Uh, to drink, you're going to reap alcoholism, okay? But, ironically, that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about generosity. You can't escape the context. Paul is saying if you keep sowing to the materialistic flesh, you're going to reap corruption. It's, it's not a wagging finger, Okay? The gospel's true. Paul isn't saying the gospel's not true. Paul isn't saying, okay, I take back everything I said about grace in the first four and a half chapters. No. He's saying, you need to know, just like the law of gravity is true, the law of sowing and reaping is true. Stop being deceived. God is not mocked. And, and here's what Paul means. If God is an infinitely good God, and He is, then when God gives a command, it is an invitation to our highest delight and pleasure. Do you get that? See, the world wants to tell you, and by the way, your flesh wants to tell you the exact opposite. Within you, there is an enemy that says, if I don't have this woman, if I don't have this man, even though I'm married, I am going to miss out on the good things God wants to give me. No! If God gives a command, it's an invitation to his, our highest delight and pleasure. And if God gives a prohibition, it's a warning against our worst nightmare. Do you believe God's heart's good toward you? Then listen to his word. He's not going to love you anymore if you do. He's not going to love you less if you don't. That's not the point. You're not under performance. God is trying to tell you there are consequences to actions. Actions have consequences. Contrary to the worldview that is surrounding us everywhere. And God is saying one of those areas of sowing and reaping has to do with generosity. Grace is true, but actions have consequences. 
And if we sow to the materialistic flesh, we're going to reap corruption. How many of us have seen people's lives destroyed by the love of money? Right? They're, they're always sowing to the materialistic flesh. And they reap the wind. This happened all the way through the Bible. In Exodus chapter 16, God says to the people of Israel, the Old Testament church, I'm going to give you manna, Lord's Prayer. I'm going to give you daily bread. Only take what you need. They didn't listen. They sowed to the flesh. They took more than they need. What happened? It gathered worms and it stunk to high heaven. Paul is saying that's what's going to happen. He's not being mean. He's not putting on a performance. He's just declaring fact. If you sow to the materialistic flesh, your life is going to stink. And the results may not be for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. But do you believe God is not mocked? We will reap what we sow. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy. He was warning us in his goodness that if we store up treasures in this world, moth and rust will eat it all. Practice reverent generosity. Reverence God's word. Reverence God's heart. Reverence God's warnings. The warnings of God are just as gracious as the promises of God. Practice reverent generosity. Fifthly, practice abundant generosity. Again, sowing and reaping. Paul's saying it only makes sense. The more seed you sow, generally the greater harvest you reap. And all through the New Testament, Paul is calling us to sow abundantly. See, not only do we reverence God's warnings, but we believe and hope in God's promises. Look at verse 8, the second part. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, you know what he's saying there, right? He's saying if you give your tent to the church, it will save you from hell. Not even a chuckle. Clearly, he's not saying that. He's just spent four and a half chapters saying the only thing that can deliver our souls from death is the obedient life of Christ and the substitutory death of Christ. He can't be saying what he seems to be saying. He can't be saying that if you practice generosity, if you sow to the Spirit, if you give to the people of God, that you're going to reap eternal life from those actions in the way that we think of eternal life. But what we need to realize is eternal life is used differently. Sometimes it does mean delivered from hell and brought to heaven. And at other times, it means something different. This is one of those times. Paul says the same thing in 1 Timothy 6. He talks about life that is truly life. Jesus in John 17 says this. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see that? Eternal life is intimacy with the living God. And Paul does write that if we sow to the Spirit when it comes to generosity, 
we will experience deeper benefits of eternal life. We will experience deeper intimacy with the living God. In other words, Paul is wooing these new Christians to greater generosity so that they will experience greater intimacy. Not as God's reward, but God blessing His own grace and favor. There is a connection between our practice and experiencing what God has for us. In verse 9, Paul goes on to say, let us not grow weary in doing good. What's the doing good? It's not just good moral ethics. It's doing good, meaning doing good to those who taught you, meaning they sowed spiritual seed among you. That's what we're doing right now. The church should reap a material harvest. It's that sowing and reaping that Paul is clearly talking about in verses 6 through 10. By the way, I'm not preaching this because it's stewardship season. I'm preaching it because I've been going through Galatians. And all we did is skip ahead a little bit. In 35 years of preaching on stewardship, I've never had to skip a book. I've never had to leave a book, leave a series. Every book we've ever been in during the fall, there's always been an opportunity to talk about stewardship because God talks about it so often. And he says, let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season we will reap. Look, if the warning of be careful about reaping to the, sowing to the flesh, if the warning is true, then how much more can we rest that the promise is true? Don't, don't sow to the flesh, but if you sow to the Spirit, oh, oh, what awaits you. All through the Scriptures, God is wooing us to generosity. In Malachi chapter 3, Malachi writes, Bring the full tenth into the storehouse, and thereby put me to the test, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour out blessing until there is no more need. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be material blessing. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be next week, or next year, or the next decade. It might not even be till heaven. But God promises you will reap what you sow. In a challenging way, he says that. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. And in a beautiful way concerning the experience of intimacy with the living God, if you sow to the Spirit, trust me, you're going to reap from the Spirit. Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul is trying to be so encouraging here. In Luke 6, Jesus says the same thing. Give and it will be given to you. Press down, running over into your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. We will reap what we sow. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower will multiply your seed for sowing, increasing your harvest of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Do you see this? 
God is saying when we sow generously, when we sow generosity, we will never regret it. Ever. And that's why we end with this last point. We also need to practice tireless generosity. Look at verse 9. And let us not go weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Again, let us not go weary in doing good. It's not talking about general morality here, right? Obviously, that's true. We, we need to persevere and not grow weary in doing all kinds of good. But all kinds of good is not what Paul's focused on here. The good that Paul's focused on is generosity. Verse 6, let the one who is taught share all good things with the one who teaches. He's still talking about doing good with respect to generosity. And here's the problem. The Galatians were somehow losing their enthusiasm for generosity. How about us? Have you lost your enthusiasm for generosity? I remember when I finally did learn about generosity as a new Christian. And I heard some of these principles. Really? I'll experience God if I do things like that? Not as a result of reward or works, but just because that's the principle God set up in the universe? I couldn't wait. But then what happens? We get kicked in the teeth, don't we? Bills pile up. The kids grow out of their clothes. Interest rates rise. The economy falters. The paycheck's not as big. The expenses are worse. Inflation increases. And then suddenly it's easy to become weary in doing good slash generosity. Paul is like a coach during a boxing match. And Paul's boxer just got punched in the gut. Do you feel punched in the gut sometimes when it comes to generosity? Paul says, don't grow weary. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Trust that God is able. Trust that God will. That's how he closes with this, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Do good. He's not talking about being nice and moral. He's talking about practicing generosity. The context hasn't changed. From verse 6 to verse 10, Paul is talking about one thing, generosity. Practice generosity to everyone and especially to the household of faith, your church. Don't allow yourself to become weary. And if you are weary, run to Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. True story. A pastor named D. Martin Lloyd-Jones told it. There was this farmer in his church, and he had prized cows. And he ran into the kitchen one morning, 
looked at his wife and said, our prize cow just had twins. There's a white calf and a red calf. And I've been impressed to the Lord that we're going to give one of them to the church, the proceeds. We're going to let them grow up, and then we're going to give the proceeds of the one to the church. And the wife said, well, which one? He said, I'm not worried about that right now. We'll figure it out. About six months later, he came through the door, and he had a drawn face. And it, it like he'd been kicked in the stomach. And his wife said, what's wrong? And he looked at her and said, the Lord's calf has died. <laughs> true, true story. His wife said, what do you mean the Lord's calf has died? You said you hadn't decided which one was the Lord's calf. He said, no, no, no. I remember uh, the next day. Uh, I realized that God was impressing on me that the wife ca- white calf was his and the red calf was ours. The white calf died. The Lord's calf is dead. It's so often true, isn't it? Things get hard. Things get tight. Things change. And it's often the Lord's calf that we say has died. And Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. We will reap what we sow. If we sow to the flesh, we'll reap corruption, not performance. God's not going to love you any less or any more. It's just a principle. He has written into his universe just like gravity. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but especially to those who belong to the household of faith. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that you don't leave anything untouched. You're willing to come uh, to us in your goodness and love. You, You desperately want to see us changed so that we could experience our highest delight, and our greatest pleasure. But Father, we are deceived. We think we know what's going to bring us pleasure and delight. And there's our deception. Help us to find at your right hand pleasures forevermore. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know Jesus, we pray that today the gospel would make sense. They would see their need for Jesus and Him alone. And God, we pray for the rest of us that you continue to transform us into the image of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.